Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and I hope you're well wherever you are in the world listening to this episode today. My guest today is Professor Patria Redman. She is a professor of digital pedagogies at the University of Southern Queensland. Patria, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for the invitation and it's uh, pretty sunny and warm where I am. So wherever you are in the world, I hope you're safe. Yes, and for everyone, that's a very good point. We were just talking about kindness and COVID and us all coming out of our shells and being a little bit bomb shocked. So my advice is just be gentle and easy on yourself. Patria, did I pronounce that pedagogies? It's always such a like tongue twister for me. Is that the right pronunciation? Um, it's, it's not just a tongue twister for you. My husband always goes, <laughs> what is that word? And, and it's pedagogy or digital pedagogies in my, pedagogies. my case. Okay. Well, that word. Okay. So I've got, I have to go to say it again. So you're a passionate educator focusing on P to 12 curriculum and pedagogy. ICT integration, blended and online learning and teaching in secondary schools, VET, higher education. This is such a huge portfolio. Can you tell us a little bit about your career to date and how you've ended up where you are? Yes, happy to. So I'm an ex-high school teacher. So back in the day when I was doing my university teaching degree, um, I was an economics and business uh, specialist. So they were the two areas that I studied. So I went out to a rural school and and had to teach a few other things along the way. And that was the era when if you're a business teacher, you taught database and you taught spreadsheets and, and you even taught word processing, which isn't taught at all anymore. Everybody just assumes people can do these things, which is interesting. And they've definitely changed significantly, those tools um, over my career. But after doing uh, my gig as a uh, rural teacher, I went into more of a provincial town. I was a head of department. I did some acting deputy principal and principal gigs and I went, you know what, I don't think this is me. I can't see me, you know, sitting here until I'm 60 doing some of these things, even though there were parts of it that I loved, there were more parts of it that I didn't love. And, and I didn't want to give up the teaching to go into an administration job. So I was lucky enough there in across Queensland, they had some advisory positions. And, and so I took on a technology advisory position, which meant I worked from P to uh, 12. And I have to say, lucky I had had my own children by then because I would have been terrified being a high school teacher if this little kid come and you know jumped on my lap or grabbed hold of my hand or my leg as I was walking through the classroom so it it um it was interesting and, and you know what at that stage people didn't have there was you didn't have your own digital tools so I would slag you know carry in um projectors and scanners and digital cameras and, and tools that people didn't have access at home and the only place they had access to these tools was actually at school so the exact reverse almost of what's happening now so education actually was a place where you could access things that you couldn't access at home and largely depending on the digital divide lots of people have more access at home in fact than they do at school or at university type places yeah. so after doing that and I have to say I did love that 
that job. I loved working with both the teachers and the kids and the teacher aides. But after that, the university knocked on my shoulder and said, would you like to come and be seconded at the university for two years? And I think that was largely because I was knocking on their door going, where's the technology on the teacher education program? You know, if these young people are going to be digital literate and they need to know how to use the tools and, and know how it might help their learning and learning and help teachers teach you know what are you doing at your university so guess what my job was to establish a course where all of the teacher education students were learning about how to use the technologies of the day which are very different than the technologies of today anyway I loved that and there was a, a position that I applied for and I was successful and honestly I haven't left well that's not true I left for 18 months I worked at the University of Calgary in Canada which was an amazing opportunity for my family and for myself personally and professionally. And um, I met some great people. We loved skiing every weekend, which is not something that we can do in Toowoomba. You know, it's yeah. a two-day drive <laughs> if we want to go to the ski hills and it's a half-hour wait at the bottom of the lift to do the very short ski run. Yeah. So anyway, that was a, a, a changer for me in terms of profession. It went, yes, I this is I think I belong here. I feel like you know, being an academic is, is a bit of a home for me, but I didn't want to lose my K to 12 roots. So the work that I'm doing, you know, is, is in that. The teaching that I have been doing is in that. My doctoral students are teachers who do those jobs, who would teach technology. So that's kind of moved me to where I have been. And the vet space was really because I was a vet in schools teacher. So I used to teach vet in schools. So when I came to the university, they had a vet program and I went, oh, well, I'd like to be part of that too. So I think Higher Ed has provided some amazing opportunities and, and actually I have to start saying no now rather than <laughs> accepting all the amazing opportunities that are out there. And I've been very grateful and very privileged in my life, I believe, as a, especially as a first-in-family person to go to university from a low socioeconomic rural area. So, you know, there were... I was trying to find shoulders to stand on, strong people who would help and support me along the way to stand on. And we were just talking about International Women's Day yesterday. And, and I've been very fortunate that I have both males and females who've supported me in my journey along the way. And I'm very grateful um, for their support because I wouldn't be here without them. You had so much uh, enthusiasm and just a uh, for life. I'm moving up to you and I'm just going to come and do whatever you want me to do there because you just, uh, I'm sitting here and I'm getting revved up listening to you. So just touching on, you know, technology, I think in my humble opinion, Queensland is far more advanced in the rest of Australia in terms of your education and focus on robotics and coding and, and stuff like that. Do you agree with my assessment here? I mean, you're probably across what's going on in the rest of Australia. There, there's a lot of, even including in Queensland, there's a lot of amazing stuff happening, but it's not happening to everybody. Yeah. So there are pockets of innovation and, and exceptional work that's happening. And that and that's across the nation. That's just not in Queensland. Yeah. And But... As a general rule, there's a lot of teachers who you use the word algorithm or say the word program and they're scared because mm. they're not things that they've had to do previously. And my research has indicated that they're scared of some of these new things. And, and people who've been very passionate about this their whole career, they don't see this as new. They yeah. just see this as a transition from where we've come to and, and we know that we'll move forward. But a lot of people aren't kind of ready to take some of that mm. on board. And, and so finding ways to talk 
to people. So when, when you know, instead of using the word algorithm, I use the word patterns. Okay, we're mm. looking for patterns. What do you do with grade one when you're doing patterns? You know, how would yeah. you sort blocks or buttons or whatever? Yeah. And what sort of patterns can you make in there? And they go, oh, okay, that's not quite so scary. You know, yeah. and, and, and can you look at music as, as a pattern? Is there a rhythm that happens? Okay, well, coding has something similar to that where there's looping around and it, things get repeated. And so trying to talk about these things that they're a bit frightened and scared of in ways that relate to their life kind of helps break down some of those barriers. Yeah, look, I, I think there's going to become a time, I mean, I think it's already happening because I know there's Skills Lab under the SAGE group in Adelaide that they're offering micro-credentials. And if universities aren't set up to do it, there'll be, you know, private education in, institutions doing this to offer people micro-credentials that get you up to speed quickly for what you need to know. And I think there's a whole contingent of teachers out in Australia that probably need these micro-credentials because, yes, it is actually quite petrifying when you think, well, I have to know what coding is. But I don't think everyone needs to be experts. They just actually need to know about it. They need to know what it means, what's the impact for children, to have it or not to have it. And kids are growing up with us today. So... Well, remember back in the 80s, I'm not sure whether you had the experience with the logo and the turtle. So coding was very popular from Seymour Pathet back then because yeah. kids in primary schools were actually coding a turtle to go around a maze. So I go, oh, well, you know, it's not like we haven't done this before. We've yeah. just lost it. And Lego robotics were pretty um you know, they weren't as advanced as they are now, but there were still sensors for for light and, and, and other things that you could put things together. And so that, you know, those passionate people were doing that stuff way back then and they've just shot off to, you know, well, now they're looking at drones and now they're looking at yeah. robotics in a really different way. Um, and and I, I know because I there's a lot of rural areas around where we live and I know that some of the kids come up with some amazing things to do with technology that is useful for them. So one that sticks to my mind is his job was to go and check the tanks down where the cows were and he physically used to have to walk down and see how much water was in there so he created a uh, a sensor that he could read from the house and work out whether he actually had to do anything about it and save him the walk down to the tank and back so <laughs> there are some great things happening that are real life and purposeful rather than just in case you need to know about coding here's some ideas yeah of course because if you're actually solving a real-time problem that that gets your brain cells firing. You go, okay, I'm doing this for a reason. But if you say to someone, oh, just be causing case, I mean, that's not going to inspire anyone to do anything. Mm, yeah. So. And and we need passionate teachers. And, and uh, you know, if you're pretty scared of that, it's really hard to show that you're not scared and that you are passionate about what it is that, that you're doing. And I'm not saying that it's all teachers. And teachers often have different areas of passion. So they yeah. might be more passionate in science or in literacy or something else. And they stir the, the kids up in that area, but yeah. not necessarily in this other one. Look, I have huge respect for teachers. I love you all dearly. I come from a long line of teachers. I think I miss my calling and after I come back, I will be a teacher. But, I, you know, I look at the workload and just the sheer admin that's now that the teachers have to plough through. In some instances, just being a parent to some of the kids coming to school, you know, like it's such a 
it's just such a huge portfolio of things that you need to look out for. So I think what we need to have is an international teachers day. I'm sure there is one. I've just missed it. And we have to send all the teachers, we know, flowers and chocolates and just all our support because you know what? You've got the hands, you've got the lives of young kids in your hands and how you treat them and how you treat their, their ideas and the enthusiasm, you can make it or break it. Yeah. And then... I think, you know, for all of the listeners, they've probably got a teacher either in primary school or high school or at university who was the one that, you know, they're still in their heart. There's still a connection there. And it's probably not how they taught maths or how they taught something. It's the relation element that that they're kind of still think about. Yeah. yeah, it's the key. For us in Australia, the last year, two years of COVID, like how have you navigated this? And what do you think the long-term implications are going to be playing out uh, for for university students and school kids? Well, I think it's definitely risen to a level where teachers cannot ignore technology anymore. You know, they were forced to, a lot of them were forced to use it. I know that in some primary schools, they created like learning packs and they used to drive around to their community and, and, you know, drop off these learning packs rather than use the technology. But most, most of them had some sort of learning management system where they could do some digital work. What was in lots of cases missing was actually how do I facilitate this? And, and so when COVID first happened, I was very busy on podcasts and webinars and, and lots of things because people went, oh, Patria, you've been talking about this for like 20 years. What do you know <laughs> that, that we all should know now? So, so you know, talking about being present both as a student as a as a teacher and and how do you engage people and how do you keep them interested in an online space where you can't see them all the time was one of the issues having now so now we're back to well whatever we're back to because it's different in every part of the world and in Queensland right now we've got a real surge of kids with COVID in schools so we're dealing with a bit of a different issue now um, than we had previously but there's no doubt that technology now has changed and will continue to change education. But the level to which that will happen, I think, will really depend on several things. And one is, you know, it's the intrinsic value of the teacher. Two, the extrinsic meaning that says you have to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and then there's the, well, what tools are available? And for some people, this was an amazing, COVID was an opportunity to explore new and different things. It actually wasn't a problem. It was actually an opportunity, an opportunity to try something different, to take risks, to not be afraid to fail because nobody really knew what was happening anyway. So people were just giving things a go and hoping for the best. And you know, those sort of people are going to continue to do those things. They're going to continue to do that. And the the teachers that were really apprehensive, they've at least moved. So in my head, I look at technology integration as a continuum. So it's a line that you move across, right? It's not something that goes up and down. It's actually a line that you move across. And that line never ends because the technology tools don't change. You know, the next version of Word or the next version of, of whatever, or when my phone gets updated next and it looks a little bit different, then that's going to continue to happen. So I, I, I just think it'll, it'll be really contextually different. Higher ed, there will be no going back in some ways. Even those universities who are now 
you know, trying to go back to a traditional face-to-face -face mode have found that actually at least having some stuff online provides flexibility for their students. Mm -hmm. So if their student was sick on that day, you know, here's the resources that you might have missed or here's a recording of, of what we talked about. In, in schools, there'll be, especially high schools, I think it's so much easier in the high schools than it is in the primary schools. Can you imagine being, I can't imagine being an early childhood teacher and what they had to go through now and, and, and then trying to have the parents sit beside the children when they're trying to work in an online space. It was a very complex and difficult time for parents as well. Um, and, and I think that- Yeah, I, I suppose that, that is actually, yeah, that's an actually interesting point because school is there also, to keep the economy going because parents can't babysit their kids all day. You know, like not everyone's a, a, a teacher and, you know, some people working on high corporate jobs are just not focused on their little kids needing to learn to do uh, basic maths and, and learning to read and write. So I, I have to agree with you that I don't think it would be good for them anyway because kids need to socialise. We pack animals. It's actually good for human beings to be together. And, and that kind of is important, that's important to me and has led me to some of my new research in that we've got kids who are vulnerable and can't currently come to school because they might have chronic illness. We have kids who in the past couldn't come to school for situations such as they were elite sports people. So they're away representing their state or their country, you know, at events. And that happens from, you know, school to university levels that that impact, or they might be amazing artists and, and they're in some sort of performance. And, and so their schooling, that connection to the kids in their classroom is disrupted because of that. So trying to keep those children connected to their friends, you know, anyone who's over, 10 probably has their own mobile phone now yeah. um so so for those older kids that connectivity they can do that themselves but i still think they need a learning connectivity it's not it, that social stuff is vital but it's also a vital way to make sure learning happens because we learn we don't learn by ourselves we learn with others yeah. and we learn from others mm. so it's important that that learning connectivity continues as well, not just the social connectivity. Yeah, you've touched on, you know, kids and teen and, and social, you know, I, again, I, I looked at a, I think it's someone actually up your way, a young child that took his own life due to catfishing incidents on social media. Absolutely heartbreaking story that I read. And I wonder about the sanity of giving kids this continuous access to each other. You know, when I grew up, you'd go to school, there was a landline, you know, you need to phone me and good chance you're not going to get hold of me anyway because why are you phoning me? But these kids have grown up in a completely different era. Everything's monitored and judged the whole time. There is absolutely no downtime. It, it actually scares me. There, there is some research that says young females in particular in terms of body image, it's it's a big problem. Yeah. And and you're right, the cyberbullying type of effects, and that you know, there's multiple different things that might be put under a, a, that that kind of branch, is is so important. And people need to understand not just teachers, not just the community, not just parents, but we all need to work together to make things happen and to for kids to understand that bad stuff is out there, mm. but 
you've got a collective of people around you who will help keep you safe and don't keep searching out into that bad land. The trouble is with cyberbullying, particularly say if it's texting or whatever, mm. it's there all the time. And yeah. the kids don't have the wherewithal to turn it off, to defriend somebody, to report it up even. That's one of the biggest problems we're having in Australia with uh, cyberbullying is the kids don't report it. That, you know, they might have a friend who they might talk to and that friend and they're saying, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, but really it's important that they do tell somebody because as a parent or a teacher, I can't do anything about it if I don't know. And most parents and teachers will know something's wrong. They'll just yeah. go, oh, that something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And I had an incident with my daughter and, and it took quite a while. I'm just going, Alyssa, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I know some, something's wrong. I know something's happening to you and you don't want to tell me and I, I want you to tell me. And, mm. and eventually she she's, you know, this is what's happening. And and so I, and she had the same thing. Do not go to those kids, mum. Don't talk to the kids. Blah, 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 blah. So I just went to the teacher actually and said um I'm prepared if you don't want to 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 do some teaching around cyberbullying you know what yeah. it is what should happen blah 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 so it was a teacher I wanted it to be a teachable moment for these kids rather than a come down and you know you, you're getting suspended or expelled or in some way you're identified and picked out I wanted to use a soft approach first and see if that worked and in my daughter's case it definitely worked so um, education works we know education makes a difference yeah look I think you've got a it's an important point because I think most parents instinct is to go and uh, bash those children up which is going to be a pointless exercise because it is they have to be educated and I think these this should just be a subject at school now you know like the, I don't know why it's not like this, this should be a subject that everyone should pass because it's it's now part of our tech our lives how we integrate with technology and we would call that digital citizenship so it's about your behavior online yeah. and it includes things like cyber security you know don't share your passwords mm. and make sure that they're secure yeah. and, and don't you know if the email looks weird do not click on it report yeah. it you know report it and if you you're in a school they usually have some sort of process if kids were to come across inappropriate websites um you know what's the process what do i need to do if i do that so i just think that if we and 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 it's in some ways there's a lot of stuff happening in our world that if we could just get people to report it and feel supported when they report it up that people would probably be embarrassed about how often some of this behavior is poor behavior is happening but I think until we we give it a light until we have send a light under it and we tell people that it is important and it's happening far too often very little is going to happen I don't understand this person that the abuse is perpetrated against they embarrassed about it they embarrassed to actually speak where have we created this mindset that something someone does something to me and I'm actually embarrassed to go and report it to someone or tell someone in a position of authority is it that we think we've some, somehow contributed to it we've we've said hello and the hello has now opened up this barrage of bullying uh, you're, you're right that that whole did I open that door by doing something inappropriate and maybe well most kids go I don't want my phone taken off me and that's what yeah. often the parents will do right yeah. or I don't want my internet access cut off or or, or I don't want stuff happening but the not that like I don't think there'd be a week go by where we don't see some young person who has um, died of suicide due to some mm. issue connected to technology 
I and, think and it's. I that's think it's devastating. Yeah. That's a waste of a, such a waste of life. And think about the devastation for those families and those mm. kids' friends. It's terrible. I I sincerely hope that um, if there any of our audience listening to this, that um, and you're in a position to do something about it or more serious intervention, I, I think we're lacking in this space in Australia. You know, one suicide a week on that alone. It, it's dreadful as I said I read the story about this young kid and my heart just absolutely bled for the parents I thought such a cutie like such a lovely looking young guy the whole world in front of him and it was done as a prank the whole story was done as a prank and that made me even more furious so Mm. anyway we'll we'll leave that discussion there because I think you and I'll just talking about it the whole day and we've got other things to cover now of interest to me and again I, I think this is something happening in Victoria I know in Queensland is that we're losing our male teachers is this uh, happening up there as well oh yes this is an in fact it's an international problem but it's a big it's a big national problem with um you know only about 30 percent or less depending on where you you look um of of teachers actually being male and you know along with that whether they're male or female they often leave the profession in the first five years so I kind of go what a waste economically socially Mm. uh, you know for rural and remote towns where they rely on new teachers to come out to kind of breathe life into the schools yeah um, and and to actually make sure the school has sufficient teachers it's it, it is a big problem and there've been some studies on it and you know trying to do things like um, make STEM a focus because they're more likely to get males in there. That's so gender problematic oh, for me, though. Yeah. So, so let's yeah. just not go there. And um, that that like there's a bit of trying, but I think the amount of teacher bashing that happens in the media. You know, there would be really a a week where there's not something in some form of media that talks about teachers not doing the right thing or teachers being incompetent or teachers only going this far down the journey and and I'm going the people who are writing those stories need to walk a mile in the teacher's shoe Mm. before they actually have these comments because as you said at the beginning you know the responsibilities that they have often because society isn't doing the right thing so our curriculum has got because well we need sex education that can be done at school I remember we used to do bike education in primary school and driver ed education oh we need to do that so there are bits that keep so now we're looking at domestic violence education needs to be in the curriculum you know so something happens in society and all of a sudden it's the teacher's job to do something about it and and honestly in isolation, a, we can't make a difference. I honestly think that's the biggest load of rubbish. Like parents, step up to your responsibility. Patria, don't get me started on this. Like I will, I will talk about this the whole day. I get, <laughs> you know what? If you can't do your responsibility as a parent, don't have children. Like you know, get get with the program. These are your children. You do actually have responsibility, and just sending them off to school thinking. This poor teacher there with your portfolio that is as full as it is must take care of everything else. So any parents that are maybe listening and I've offended you, please feel free to contact me directly and we'll continue the discussion. No, I can't. I agree with you 100%. It's, it's a very tough environment. And as you say, you say the, the media's portrayal and feedback, oh, the teachers, this and that. Get them to go to school for a week and do what you're doing. Yeah, it, it, it you know, that's, it's never going to happen. But what's disappointing for me is 
that doesn't happen to other professionals. There yeah. is no media bashing of doctors or of dentists or of lawyers yeah. or, 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 you know, why, why is it? Why is it that educators are an easy target? And everyone seems to think they know everything about teaching because they went to school for 12 years. So they that's know part actually of the nothing. Problem. Yeah, that yeah. is. All the experts <laughs> sit on the sideline. Yeah. So, speaking of research, you're leading some world first research on teacher self efficacy for using telepresence to teach sick children. There are figures around 61,000 um, children miss school in Australia, and I'm, I'm quoting um, pre COVID now. Tell us a little bit about these, these, these telepresence. Of course, I do this anyway, but the research you're doing and why you think this is so crucial and why you've decided to do a study on it. So I, um, oh, you know, people sit down and make, you know, career decisions and they go, you know, what, where do I see there's a hole? Where, where could I, where could I go next? What's something that there's not a lot on that, that I might be able to have a niche in. And, and I went, well, there's these kids in hospital that are not getting an education like they should. And then some of them are sitting at home for years or, go to school for two days a week and then they're they're back home or back in hospital and so it could be a long single period or it could be regular periods of absence from school and and I understand that schools and teachers say go home and get well first but these kids need to feel normal they need to reconnect with their classroom they need and sometimes they need the distraction from all of the medical stuff that's happening to them um, to actually be involved in education. So there is very little research on teaching sick kids full stop. I, I, I've just had a, a master's student complete their research on that and, and there's kind of nothing much out there. Ronald McDonald House does have some um, like self-paced work that you can go to and I'm going, well, Ronald McDonald House should not be providing information to educators about mm what's the best way to deal with this? Why don't yeah. we have any research that talks about this? Yeah. And, and then I was, um, I think I was on Twitter or Facebook or something one day and I went, oh, this is interesting. Mm. And I came across a story about missing school. Oh, yeah. And, and they're a non-for-profit organisation who originally set up um, by some mums who had kids that were seriously ill. And they managed, so they put telepresence robots into schools or into and into homes, hospitals, etc. So our telepresent robot is really a stick with wheels with like an iPad on the top. And that can be controlled by the sick child, whether they're at home or in hospital. So it's movable. It's um, they have presence in terms of you can see their face if they choose to have the camera on. Of course, if they're having some sort of procedure or they've lost all their hair, there might be a situation where they don't want their camera on, but they can have it on and um, and they can talk to the class and they can participate in class. They can be present and, and they can't physically be in the room, but this is as close as we can get for them to be present in that room. And there's some beautiful stories about, you know, the kids picking up the robot and going to the hall for graduations or school photos. So there's a you know, the school photo has the telepresence robot with his kid's head on it, and, and that is their photo. Um, so there's some amazing stories about what's happening in some schools, and I just went, oh, I, this gives me goosebumps. Yeah. This, this is, is something that I really would be um, interested in seeing what happens. So um, we have some data about, so they've been doing their work for quite a long time. So we have some data that we're writing up in, in, in that space. And we did some interviews with those teachers about 
their self-efficacy, like how familiar, what was difficult, what was easy, what more support do you need? Those sort of types of things that we're currently, you know, writing that one up. And we currently have a, um, a survey, an international survey out to look at um, teachers who've used telepresence robots to teach sick kids. And I know that's a really small population, even across the world. So even if we, you know, if we can get a group of teachers together and get information from them about how did they cope, what did they do, what support did they get systemically or not, uh, what support, what were some of the issues, and and COVID has raised those same issues. So bandwidth, access to technology, battery life, the same things that were happening to kids during the emergency remote learning period you know, happens with the telepresent robot because it's a function of the technology. Yeah, looking again, you're touching on um, Missing School, wonderful, wonderful organisation, done fantastic work. It also boils down onto, uh, boils down to the, the price of a telepresence robot because they vary greatly and with them, their capabilities vary as well. There's another organisation called Canteen Petria in, um, I don't know if you've worked with them, but they're also um, working with kids with cancer. Yeah. Um, and they would be able to probably give you a lot of feedback there as well. Yes, yes, they are working in the space. But I think what's a game changer now was COVID. Yep, of course. Everything's, so everything's been escalated or, or it's just the adoption rate has gone up by five years where we would be still struggling when I'm telling people you should be using these telepresence robots and they're going, oh, but where are they used? I'm going, please, let me. how many case studies do you want me to give you of where this technology has been adopted today in Australia? Mm. And, and, you know, it's adopted in schools, in hospitals, in yeah. um, businesses, it's in, in, in lots of places. But I think what the big problem we have is teachers don't really understand what might be a good way to teach kids that are sick. Yeah. When it's working, the students in that class have so much empathy for that type of illness. It's yeah. actually an educational experience for them and their families as well. So the trickle-on effect of having that student present in the school is so much bigger than, yes, the cost is a problem. And maybe telepresence robots is not the technology for the future for this to happen. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we will be using Zoom or some other video conferencing um, process or some other way for making any child who can't come to school connect back to school. Because we've got to remember that in addition to those 61,000 kids who are ill, there's the brothers and sisters who don't go to school because the the parents can't get them there because they're interstate or in a yeah. capital city. There's the parents might be ill themselves and the kids are dragged out of school, you know, to, to make that happen. So there's lots of reasons that kids are not at school, but technology could help them be present at school when they're physically able to. So, you know, there'll be situations where they're at medical appointments or they're performing if they're performing arts people or tennis players or, or what have you that, you know, they can't be on then. But right now we just give them no opportunity to continue their education. Um, you know, it's often, you know, get better, as I said before, or, or why don't you go to um, virtual school, you know, where you don't have to actually physically turn up ever. But these kids have a community that they love and that community mm. cares about them too. And, and that being relational is something that we do. As you said, we're herd people, right? We want people around us. So it doesn't matter whether I'm talking about sick kids at school or are they at university or are they even in the workplace and how can we make sure that 
they, they can still stay connected and don't feel isolated because a lot of the research said that one of the biggest issues with COVID was isolation. Mm -hmm. Yet we had people in isolation before COVID that we never attended to, that we didn't consider. And I, I, I live in hope, got the half cup full in front of me right now that that some of the issues that people have who work in tele, um, in the technology space already knew, you know, mm. there's, there's none of the findings that are coming out now we are new to anybody who's worked in the field for even 10 years, but it's risen it up. People can see it. It's more obvious. There's a light shining on it and people going, oh, well, now we know we can't not do anything about it. We have to do something about it. Well, yeah, I suppose well, they, they could probably try and get away with that. But I think you, you've you touched on something. You know, if you just, these, these telepresence robots require internet and there in alone are some issues around, you know, if you're in rural Australia, how strong is, you know, like, so there's some other issues to address even before you can bring in the technology, unfortunately. But to your point, I actually think, you know, I always say to people that academic slant for me is a by the way. It's the connection with their friends. That's what's going to make them well. It's not the academia that they go, oh, they've had a mass lesson. It's that their friends are sitting there talking to them and saying, I miss you. How are you? I can't wait for you to come back here. You know, it's not the same without you in the classroom. That's what they want to hear. Like, yeah, the maths is okay, but it's the connection. That's, you know, loneliness. It's a killer, Patria. It's not good for and us. And they often feel really isolated because they've, they're vulnerable, so they don't want yeah. people visiting physically <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because it, you know, might mean a trip to the hospital and I'm back, you know, where I was three months ago just because I had, you know, this one short incident. Mm. So the vulnerability, and we've got a lot of vulnerable groups, I think, that are, are not well catered for in our education system already, and this is another group, another grouping yeah. that are pretty much invisible. Yeah. Because once a school says it's an explained absence, we know while they're away, then that's the end of the story. Yeah, we don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. for me, is a moral dilemma because every child deserves, and we have signed up to, you know, the UN proclamation that says that every child deserves and should get a good education or the best education that we're able to provide them. Yeah, because it's tantamount to their survival in this world is your education and, you know, how you've received it and the care around it. So you do online mentoring. Tell me how this works because I know everyone's just going to sign up because you are just so infectious in your enthusiasm, in your zhuzh uh, for life is all I can say. Um, so I've done a few different ones. I've done it with pre-service teachers and teachers so often especially in rural areas but not you know in some subjects in a high because I'm high school background right so say physics physics is not taught in every school right so if I am a pre-service teacher and I'm out there on a placement somewhere and I do have at least that person who's also going to write about how good I am as a teacher in there I wanted them to be able to talk to another physics teacher somewhere located in a different space but had that discipline knowledge and the pedagogical knowledge that that connects them so that was kind of the my first experiment and that was group mentoring so I had a large group of students with one or two teachers in each discipline and and we had an online space where they could ask questions share resources sometimes have a cry, whatever, whatever it was they needed. And um, I've also done some STEM work with kids in high school and, and in university where we hooked them up with um, 
it was a, a gender one, so it was female in STEM. So we hooked them up with mentors out in the field, so people in industry, so that they could um, have a bit of an idea and have a talk about how difficult is it to be a woman in STEM and what were some of the tips that you needed to, to do? And sometimes it was a conversation about discipline. Other times it was a conversation about what were your survival tips? What, what are things that I need to look out for? Where are the minefields and what should I or how should I respond? And the latest one that I'm doing now is with a group called Ascolite. So we are a group that looks at tele uh, technology enhanced learning in higher education. So it's in universities and these people, again, they're females. So women in academic leadership. So people who wanna get promoted up through the ranks. And um, it's a group leadership approach as well but it's like one mentor to two or three mentees and because they're all academics there's a lot of similarity and a lot of sharing that can happen in that space you know so I'm going for promotion what do I need to do or I you know this is happening what do I need to do or this is happening this is coming up in my school what should I consider when I'm giving feedback so they've all been really different and interesting conversations and I love hearing the stories and and I'm a mentee and a mentor in in this latest group so um it I I I don't know I just find it an, an amazing opportunity to connect people who wouldn't normally connect together mm, that's yeah. that's really the difference and for them to be able to feel you know you hope the relationship's strong enough even though they're strangers that over time the relationship gets strong enough that they sharing the problems and trying to look for solutions amongst the group particularly in the group mentoring and um, we've had some lovely stories and and one of the outcomes we spoke right at the beginning of the year to talk about you know well we had this many people promoted and this many people got awards and this many, you know there were lots of beautiful outcomes that were physical outcomes that you could see but it was the invisible outcomes that the, they all spoke about and that was about the relationship that was about mm. that somebody came on and their world was not in a great spot at that moment and that group of women helped prop them up get them back on their feet take the deep breath and and you know move on to the to the next section so again relationship you know I think yeah. if if as an individual if you can't connect with other people it's very difficult in this world to to be successful or even just to survive and feel like you're feeling okay yeah I think you've hit on something there and I think it's by the age of four that ability to play well with other people has either been formed and fostered by your parents or they've ignored it. And then you've got a little brat that no one likes a you and they don't like your parents either. So it's actually quite important to socialize your kids to work well with other people. It's in their best interest. In fact, it's, it's, it's tantamount to, as you said, where they end up in the world is how well can you work with other people. Patria, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? And to any teachers that are working in the space of telepresence, please do reach out to Patria and, and give her your experience and insight. She's got a questionnaire um, that she can email you. It's a very quick questionnaire, 18 questions, I think, Patria. And it's just click, 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 and very, very quick to fill in. So that's something for anyone listening, if you'd like to be involved in that as well. But um, yeah, any, any closing thoughts? I think that in the world that we're in, you know, a lot of people are, everyone's trying to move forward. We're moving forward in a world where we can't predict what's happening next. The future is very 
unclear for all of us, not only in our households and in our workplaces, in our communities, particularly those poor people who are flooded and still have no electricity or internet. And, mm. and you know, then out in, in the broader world, you know, if we're all looking at all of those concentric circles, they're all actually moving feasts. And mostly we have very little emphasis on, on what happens there, but we can only control what we do ourselves. And, and as we spoke about before, you know, kindness and caring and being relational to others is is key to the success for our society yes it's not just individual success it's a success for our society and i would be really interested in talking to anybody who's um, either researching or would be interested in being a participant in the self-efficacy study and in fact any of those other things that I've mentioned or are, are on my bio. They're all kind of passion projects for me. And, and, and in particular, at the moment, um, we've got another research project out, which is looking at STEM and um, pre-service teachers. So if that's something that you're interested in, I'm also happy to, to talk with you about that happens. And, and lastly, I'd just love to thank you for the opportunity. This has been um, a very easy conversation and as you said at the beginning you know we might go off track and 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 have to come back which is was what that was happening but thank you so much for your time and listeners thank you for taking the time to listen Patria, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I think we will be speaking again in a few months' time again to see where you've got with your studies. Um, I'll put you in touch with some people when we finish this conversation. Just where can the listeners contact you? So on my email address, which is redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N-D, at usq.edu.au. Uh, if My name is unusual enough that if you throw me in Google and... In Australia, it'll probably pop up reasonably high because the yeah, is not common. Yeah, and also on LinkedIn. I'm assuming if you haven't if you haven't uh, connected to Patria already on LinkedIn, immediately correct the error of your ways and, and do so. And uh, Twitter is P L R E D M O N D. So okay, that's super. my Twitter handle. Yeah. I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes anyway. So thank Patria, you. listen, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've really enjoyed our chat. And uh, to our audience out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. And I hope to have you join me again next week. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Mm-hmm.